two disciples walked to a village called Emmaus. And what were they doing as they were walking along? Yeah, they were talking, conversing, but also the text says, what else were they doing? Debating. About what? About all the things that occurred, says the text, meaning everything from Jesus' arrest to his crucifixion. Trying to make sense out of what they could and yet only see a scandalous death that obliterated their trust in Jesus' reality of being Messiah to Israel. These disciples were confused, uncertain, and without hope. It is ironic that the risen Lord is out of his tomb, but these two sealed themselves in their own tombs. And out of nowhere comes the risen Lord, but the two didn't recognize him. Now why? For the same reason we often do not recognize the Lord's presence in our own lives. The world's agendas, the world's values, filter our perceptions and we are no longer grounded in the truth of who Jesus is. So Jesus asked the two, well, what are you guys talking about? And one of them, Cleopas, gave this rather nasty reply that basically said, Jesus, you're an idiot. How can you be, not be the only, you're the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been going on. Now, playing dumb, Jesus teased Cleopas by asking, what sort of things? And Cleopas launched into a spiel about what had happened and what he and the others had hoped for from Jesus, but were scandalized by his death. Still, Cleopas said that there were some rumors that women saw an empty tomb and angels announcing that Jesus was alive. Now, this was problematic for Cleopas, especially as a Jewish man, because in Jewish law of the time, the testimony of a woman was invalid. So Jesus held what essentially amounted to a summer school session with these two yahoos, explaining how all the scriptures, beginning with Moses, referred to him. By late afternoon, Jesus gave the impression that he was going to walk on, but the disciples invited him to stay with them, and he did. And while it would have been a normal evening meal, Jesus assumed the role of the host, which I suspect must have irritated the disciples since they invited him and they should have taken the role of host. Jesus, however, was making a point. He is always the host. He is always the principal celebrant at every sacred meal with his disciples. He took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to his disciples. Look again at those words. Took, blessed, broke, gave. What are they the actions of? The actions of Eucharist. The actions of the Mass. 
where the risen Lord feeds us with his body and blood, just as Jesus did then, so he does now, and will do until the day he returns, may it be tonight. Well, finally, the yahoos got it. Their eyes were opened in the breaking of the bread, which, by the way, was the earliest expression for the Eucharist, the Mass, they realized it was the Lord. The rumors that Jesus was alive were not rumors at all. They were the truth. And at that very moment, Jesus just poofed, vanished from their sight. You know, I've always had this image in my head of Jesus sporting this huge grin from ear to ear, laughing and waving goodbye. And the two of them just, oh. the two, once downcast, confused, without hope, recalled how something inside them was churning away as Jesus spent the entire afternoon and early evening teaching the scriptures. Now they knew the truth. Now they were liberated from the tombs they had created for themselves. And they did something most ancient peoples avoided like the plague. They left the security of the inn and they wandered into the night, heading for Jerusalem to where the apostles and the others were gathered. That is the church. The darkness that once filled them was replaced with the light of the resurrected Lord. Their despair was replaced with joy because they were no longer rooted in their opinions, their personal speculations about Jesus, but in tr the truth that the Lord is risen. There are three lessons we 21st century disciples can take from today's gospel. First, our personal theories, our private opinions about Jesus will never, can never, match the reality of who he is, what he has done for us, and what he is doing for us even now. In fact, our opinions, our speculations, can become our tombs sealed by our arrogance. To rely on what our puny minds can conjure up is a poor substitute for the love and the truth the risen one offers us in the church he personally established. Second, no disciple can function independently from the community of faith, the church. I understood that when I was a Protestant and it's completely clear to me now as a Catholic. Cleopas and the other disciples were liberated from their self-imposed darkness and were compelled to seek out the apostles in Jerusalem, the church. One who thinks that he or she does not need the church has snubbed the very risen Lord who established it. This inescapable truth is difficult for many today to hear, having swallowed the lie that we are independent beings who must always assert our autonomy and must always have our autonomy unquestioned. No one is completely autonomous. Did anyone here make the clothes 
you're wearing? Did any of us here make the car we drove here in? Or produce the fuel to drive it? Did any of us make the medications that we took today? Did any of us build from scratch the infrastructure for fresh, clean water to come into our homes at any time we want? And for those who had surgery, did you operate on yourself? Of course not. Likewise, we did not create the Gospels, the sacraments. We did not create the mystery of faith. And we certainly did not create the mystery of the church. They and the graces that come to us from them are gifts that the risen Lord freely imparts through the church he personally established. A divine gift filled with the Holy Spirit to guide all disciples for all time until the end of time into the fullness of truth, just as Jesus guided those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. If I did not believe that, I would never become a Catholic. A disciple can no more live outside the worshiping community of believers than a fish can live out of water. Third, disciples who have allowed the risen one to liberate them from their tombs can never be content with a faith that's private, but are compelled to bring that faith into the, into the public arena, into the darkness of the world. We do so not with pomp and ceremony, but with acts of compassion and charity. That genuine faith always inspires the disciple to do. Now, there are some who love to say, oh, the world's gone to hell in a handbasket. The world isn't worth the effort. The world is an evil place. No, it is not. God made it. God does not make evil. But the world is like a person so obsessed with his or her own image in a mirror and can see nothing else. Worse, it wants nothing else. The world demands, and let's be honest, often gets our undivided attention our devotion, our unconditional sacrifices to all of its agendas, promising happiness in return. But no matter what we sacrifice, time in worshiping God, time with a spouse, time with children, time with friends, the world is never satisfied. It always wants more from us. Now, the world, of course, has no capacity to make us happy. Genuine happiness can only come from being the disciple the risen Jesus empowers us to be, to love him by growing in our knowledge of him in his body, his church, and by serving others. When we veer away from this truth, the results are always the same. Disorientation, confusion, apathy, and ultimately, the loss of hope. In short, 
we seal ourselves in our own tombs. And that is the saddest thing that can happen to one redeemed by the risen Lord.